Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. If you'd like a free 30-day trial, you could go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Hello. We also have Bill Graham. Ooh, 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 ooh. And a special guest with us today to talk about the vast of night, it's Robert Daniels. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. We, of course, come to you during this time of crisis to review movies for you to enjoy. Uh, luckily, this week we're talking about one that is on Amazon Prime, so hopefully you all have had a chance to check it out before we talk about it. The usual stuff up front before we get into that, uh, Twitter.com, you can follow us at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us, podcast, thefilmstage.com. And you can give us a comment and a review on iTunes. You can also go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to become a patron of this here podcast for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our exclusive Slack channel and first crack at all of our raffles. So that's super awesome. Again, if you would like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash the film stage show. And of course, do you have that written out or did you? Just is that just off the top of your head doing that in your sleep? Literally everything I do is extemporaneous. I really ought to have a script. (laughs) What? What? No, you just made it sound easy. It's annoying. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Because you're hosting your own thing now. So you might like, you know, finally understand exactly the kind of stuff that goes into doing this. Yeah, I'm, I'm stealing your script. Uh, deal with it. <laughs> there, there, I mean, that's fine with me. Again, just listen back, okay. write it down, use it, and then send it to me because it's hard. I again, I ought to have a script. I I don't I don't think people realize how many times like I'm in the middle of saying something and I'm like, am I doing literally any of this right? Did I misspell movie? But uh, luckily that hasn't happened yet. Speaking of movie, they're our sponsor for this episode. Uh, movie is the curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, movie premieres a brand new film, whether it's a timeless classic, cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. Again, it is guaranteed to be moving that you're dying to see or one you've never heard of before that you can't wait to watch. There's always something new to discover on movie uh, every film is hand selected by their curators you're not at the whims of some giant ai machine that doesn't fully understand you and again every time i log into netflix i'm just like why are you offering me this this thing this like american made anime looking nonsense i have never watched anything that looks like this you don't have to worry about that with movie Movie's got real ass people who are out there looking for the best stuff to bring you to enjoy. Some of the stuff that's coming currently, we got 2001's Sex and Lucia, an award winner in its homeland, and a sleeper hit abroad. Sex and Lucia is a sensitive, sensuous, and refreshingly earnest drama about adult relationships and the gap between sex and intimacy. And Paz Vega, who'd go on to work in Hollywood and with Almodovar, 
becomes a star. That was a script, Michael. That is copy that I was given. So you don't have to feel bad about that one. Okay, great. (laughs) As always, you can get a free 30 days uh, trial of movie by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. Tell them we sent you mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is it. That's all the front matter that we had. Uh, before we go on, I have a question. Does anyone have anything that they would like to say to me? Happy Father's what? Day, Brian. Oh. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> is, is it, is it uh, Snack the Snake? Is, is, that, is that who you're the father of? Uh, no, my, my daughter would be the one that I'm the father of. <laughs> Bill, I'm concerned. Did you legitimately forget that I have a five, like a, a four year old child right now? No, no. I know all. You about say Cora. no, but you you laughed a little bit, and I'm worried that you really I, did. I know all about Cora. It's all good. Okay, great. Um, her birthday is next week. I won't say the specific day, but next week I will expect you all to say happy birthday to her. Um, but Are you yes, going to take is- more Malikian uh, photographs of her? On Instagram? Uh, yeah, absolutely. All, all of my, again, especially ever since I got a wide-angle lens, every photograph I take of her, which I try to take at her level, is especially Malikian, um, which is a word that I'm happy that I'm forcing into the lexicon. So, yeah, uh, thank you. It is Father's Day. Uh, if anyone wants to tweet at me or give us a five-star review because I'm a great dad, that would be perfect. Um, I just wanted to get that out of the way. I feel like it must be shameless. <laughs> I, there is like I don't get a lot of days, you know, like I don't qualify for a lot of stuff. So I'm, I'm milking Father's Day for what it's worth. Um, I spent most of it at the distillery. Um Cora got to come for a little bit. Uh, just this is this is some uh, necessary context for this episode. I am extremely tired. I am exhausted. I had to do everything on my own today because uh, my partner was at the hospital where he actually works, um, making sure their ORs are up to standard. So good on him fighting the good fight. And um, it took forever for everything to to fix itself. And I have not had dinner yet, so I am also hungry. Hopefully, everyone else is doing better. Um. Let's talk about The Vast of Night, a little film that is available now on Amazon Prime for free with a Prime membership. It is directed by Andrew Patterson and stars Jake Horowitz and Sierra McCormick. And uh, we decided that that's what we wanted to talk about today because uh, there wasn't really another new release that we really gave a damn about. And um, it's a it's a movie that we had all sort. Well, most of us. Bill, you hadn't already watched it, had you? I had not. No, Um, I didn't. I didn't uh, jump on this one as as a lot of people did. Well, yes, we all did. uh, Everyone else did, I should say. And uh, we were all super excited to talk about it. So here is the trailer for The Vast of Night. Number, please. WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. Now, what would you like to tell us about yourself? I don't know. Cool. Aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. 
All right, that is the trailer for The Vast Tonight. A cool little sci-fi film available on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, this movie is about a radio operator and a switchboard operator who happen upon a strange signal and embark upon an investigation to try to determine its origin and meaning. It's super cool. Uh, as always, we will start with our nutshell spoiler-free thoughts and then move into a spoiler section. And we will begin with our guest, Robert Daniels. What are your thoughts on The Vast of Night? Yes, I really love The Vast of Night. Uh you know, a sci-fi thriller shot on a shoestring budget um, in the middle of the Southwest of America. Um, and I love its influences, you know, a riff off the Twilight Zone and X-Files. There's like an Amblin, Amblin um, sensibility to it, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, in some ways, it's also, it also mirrors like radio dramas like um, Orson Welles's uh War of the Worlds and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, so yeah, it very much is a film that knows its roots uh, and love. I mean, like <clears throat> knows its roots, and it's well acted. Is some of the shots are incredible for you know for some that was done on a shoestring budget. The tracking shots are incredible. There's one that goes from like one side of the town to the other. Um, there's another where. Uh, the two lead characters are kind of walking down the street and it's, you know, it's just hovering off the street. It, it, it reminded me a little bit of like the shining um, in that respect. Um, and then both actors Horowitz and uh, McCormick have really good patter together. Um, sometimes it reminds me of, you know, uh, the conversation. Um, and it's a film that feels like every section of it is bursting with themes you know it's paranoia it's cynicism it's cynicism and it's earnestness in every single corner of its frame um it's you know small town suburban um and most of all uh it feels like you know there are portions that are escapist um and then there are also portions that actually deal with like socioeconomic issues and even racial issues you know there are portions where like you know who uh who deserves to talk, who deserves to be believed, you know, and uh, sometimes the people who don't deserve to believe, be believed, especially in a small 1950s southwestern town, tend to be either women or people of color. So, I mean, I found it to be not only great escapist cinema, but I found it to be uh, a very, very, very tightly wound thriller, too, um, that is able to bring in its audience without depending on many you know, jump cuts, any jump, uh, um, um, jump scares, I mean, of, of any kind. All right. Bill Graham. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't know what to expect from this film. Um, I had heard it was kind of a, what a drive-in hit, right? It's, it's been making quite a bit of money. Um, I think it's been like the number one movie. No, in you're, theaters. Thinking of a different, you're thinking of a different one. Oh, that's like okay. the wretched or something. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, I it, guess it, it is the wretched. Oh, it's the wretched. Okay, well, this one also released in drive-in theaters in the U.S. as well. Um, interesting. I didn't realize that <laughs> there were two competing ones. Anyway, the drive-ins are having a moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, uh, someone was mentioning the other day, why don't why don't we just turn all these parking lots into drive-ins? And I was like, it's a little complicated, more complicated than that. But yeah. Um, anyways. 
so this film has been getting a little bit of buzz lately, um, and I've been hearing about it for a while, but I never actually uh, spent some time uh, sitting down to to watch it. Um, so thankfully, this podcast gave me that opportunity. Anyways, that was a long way to way to say that. Uh, I really enjoyed this film. Um, the way that they talk to each other, uh, like our guest mentioned, is definitely interesting and unique. Um, and, you know, I say unique. There's other films like this, but it's it's definitely Jake Horowitz and Sierra McCormick's just kind of – uh, the way that they talk to each other is just so interesting. There's there's this patter. Um, there's this just kind of lived in feel. Um, and I love all the tracking shots and the or not even tracking shots, but just the way that the camera kind of moves through this film. Um, it follows them in such an interesting way. Uh, it really shows like there's there's been a plan of like the locations and and you really get a sense of feeling of this little town right um where everything's located um and how people kind of move around in it um i found it endlessly fascinating uh it's obviously filmed on kind of a, a lower end budget um but that doesn't take away from like just the intrigue um there's long parts of this film where people talk um into a camera kind of a a single or not a single take but kind of a, a you know a a perspective of just them talking and the fact that they can pull that off and still make it an interesting film while someone is just spewing dialogue and just kind of exposition and stuff like that um really is uh it's it's an art for sure um and yeah i I think this film just really kind of pulls off everything that it's kind of going for um so yeah I'm, i'm really interested to see uh what andrew patterson and uh their the writer cohorts kind of uh come up with next michael snydell yeah i'm i'm a i'm a big fan of this one too i i um i had the chance to write about this uh when it when it came out for prime um and that could have been anywhere from a year to 10 years ago i think it was only <laughs> i think it was maybe only a, a month or a month and a half i'm trying to find that exactly but while i'm saying that i think that um you know we've talked a little bit about this twilight zone riff and i think this is the rare twilight zone riff that is uh, sturdy enough and strong enough on its own that the Twilight Zone riff is as good as it is uh, a little unnecessary. And in, in fact, I, I think this is a really good small town film and a film about reporting, <laughs> weirdly. Like the uh, the things that this gets about, uh, you know, not only I, I love the you know, it's not only the folksy expressions, which like don't really feel cute to me, which is really impressive. They feel really specific and, and lived in as is a uh, word Bill used. And I would um, agree with that completely. Um, and 
but it's not only that, but it's it's the fact that, you know, Tan's people say like, oh, who are your parents? Like you really get a sense that this town is small enough that, you know, a big game that's going on the same night would really take the entire town's attention. And just as much, you would realize how Everett, who, you know, runs the radio station or, or is the DJ or one of the DJs, you know, he would he would have a reputation just as um, just as Faye would as the switchboard operator. So I, I really love the way that this is as much a movie about, um, you know, a, a certain series of coincidences that then, you know, to take the film's wording, you can choose to make the jump or not. Um, and I, I like that this film is constantly playing back and forth with that, with the idea of, you know, people who've never been able to tell their story with, um, you know, the old woman who, you know, is rumored to have done something terrible to their child. Like it's, it's playing with so many different things. And as, as Bill said, it's, it's, um, you know, you go from this in, incredible patter and these, uh, you know, very chaotic tracking shots to the movie just slowing down uh, to these often like really beautiful monologues um, where I just want to I want to mention the actors real quick. Uh, Bruce Davis plays Billy and uh, Gail Cronar uh, plays uh, Mabel, uh, two major characters in this. And, and both of them, they're really like. Uh, you know, uh, move forward in your seat moments. Uh, and, and this is a genuinely thrilling movie, but I really love it when it slows down and kind of reminds you that uh, what makes this so special is that, like, these are the equivalent of, you know, uh, town campfire stories. These are, like, this is America's mythology as much as it is, you know, a fun sci-fi riff. So, yeah, I really like this, and I really think there's a lot to talk about here, surprisingly. Michael, did you take the red pill or the blue pill? Uh, I can't remember which is which, but I think red pill is the one that's MRA, so not. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, Michael, that the, the red pill is the one that wakes you up out of the Matrix, so you do want to take the one that the MRAs took. Oh damn it! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to wake up. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the that's the whole unfortunate thing that they have taken from that movie is like you got red pilled. You've been woken up. You see the way the world really is, man. Um, I could go on with that riff, but I refuse to. Uh, so. So for me, uh, yeah, I loved this movie. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the people who pushed for us to record an episode on it. And uh, I did not hide my feelings in the run up, uh, even in the preamble that's on this episode. Um, this is a super fun movie. I uh, I really liked it. I, I love as a child, I grew up watching the Twilight Zone uh, in one place or another. Uh, the sci fi channel used to run like a 24 hour Twilight Zone marathon on like every major federal holiday and most Sundays like so I have seen many of those episodes uh over and over and over again so that when this movie opens up um in the way that it does with a kind of extended riff on the uh the Twilight Zone opening I uh I was really on board I'm also a huge fan of uh UFOs uh, I feel like that's something that's been established in canon for this podcast but I can't be sure and um 
I, uh, yeah, as a person who spends too much time on the internet in front of a microphone, I'm a big fan of uh, the whole radio aesthetic. And um, yeah, I agree. There's there's a shocking amount to talk about in this movie, which is like a brisk hour and a half long and has two leads and like four co-leads, sort of. Like the, what's what's interesting about this film is the way that it breaks itself out to be, I don't know, four or five different like mini films within its own running time. Uh, we could talk more about it in spoilers, but yeah, I mean, what Michael said about um, Bruce Davis and uh, Gail Cronauer, uh, I, I mean, it's just, it's like, why? Like, this is so good. Like, it's so sharp. I think this film was made in like under two weeks. Um, and it's just, it's just impressive. And what's also that's, great. About- that's shameful. Like that, that's just straight up shameful. Like two weeks. Are you kidding me? Like people, people <laughs> spend three, four months on movies that are just absolute dog shit. And, you know, I mean, they put their heart into it, but I mean, you, you get this out of two weeks. I'll, I'll have to, I'll research that real quick just to make sure. But yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, um, it's crazy and it's it's great and I I feel like uh, almost to what Bill was saying like you you could spend so much time on a movie and and still not get like basic things like character and dialogue right and this movie is just firing on all cylinders with those um I had never heard of Sierra McCormick or Jake Horowitz before I'm like totally on board with both of them now um every every extended character beat in this movie is just so good and you grow such a familiarity and affection for these characters so quickly. And I think the formal dynamism on display is surprisingly not the kind of showboaty nonsense that would usually make someone roll their eyes at like a directorial debut. Like it's very clear that, that um, Andrew Patterson has a, a sense of like what to deploy and when to deploy it for the story purposes. Um, I don't know. I could go on for a long time, but we uh want to have a conversation about this, so we uh we got to do that. But I will wrap up by saying that um I watched this. I actually, so I'll wrap up by saying that I received a number of PR emails about this movie before it even came out, and I was just like, oh yeah, no, I don't know. That sounds like it's up my alley, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pursue this in any way. I'm not gonna get a screener. And then when it came out, I was like, yeah, I just don't think I'm gonna watch that. And I feel like an asshole for that. Like, this is such a good movie. And it's so 100% my thing that I'm, like, upset with my past self for having the flippant attitude that they did about it. So if anyone is listening right now who has not seen this movie and isn't sure, like, for the love of Christ, just go out and watch it. Um, If you have Amazon Prime, it will cost you nothing except an hour and a half of your time. And uh, the return on the investment there will be amazing. Yeah. Uh, so this was filmed in three to four weeks, mainly <laughs> self-financed and uh, at a cost of $700,000. God. Wow. That's just so great. It reminds me of, um, I'm, I was trying to think of other movies that I saw that kind of like had this feel to it. And um, I, I kept coming back to like Brick, where it's mm. just like, that's clearly a movie that like, was a passion project like but it was like weirdly expansive for how low budget was 
Uh, Primer was kind of another one, uh, which makes coherence is something I thought about. Yeah, it's got a lot of coherence energy to it. Um, Interesting to bring up Primer, though, considering that Shane Carruth is now like trying to burn down Hollywood, which I'm (laughs) on board with, by the way. I I don't think I've disagreed with a single thing that he has said. That's one of my fa- my favorite interviews I've ever done, Shane Carruth. <laughs> I remember interviewing Shane Carruth when Upstream Color came out, and um, he had he had premiered the movie in DC, and afterwards there was a Q and A, and I sat through the whole Q and A and wrote down every question that had been asked, and then I I walked into the interview the next the following day, and I sat down, and the first thing <laughs> yeah. I said to him was like, "Hey, so I was at the Q and A last night, so I'm immediately not asking you a single question that you were asked last night." And he perked up like a rose that had finally gotten a drink of water. To <laughs> <laughs> the moment when I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I have value here. <laughs> yeah. I talked to him uh, three weeks ago, I want to say now. Yeah, I think three weeks ago um, for the for the playlist. And uh, it, was, it was a very it was a it, it was an interview that was supposed to be 15 minutes and ended up being an hour, an hour. Yeah, that's like when 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 he and I were talking, there was definitely a point where his, when his like PR handler or whatever, whoever was in charge of like keeping him on track, like knocked on the door and said like, "Okay, we got to wrap it up." And he's like, "What?" And I was like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> <laughs> like he he like very clearly he is a man who will hold forth and has a lot of ideas, and uh, I am extremely jealous of you right now. <laughs> but anyway, so the vast tonight. Um, it's a great movie. Uh, let's talk about it. I am curious, though. I think we should jump straight into spoilers. Does anyone sure. disagree with me on that? Absolutely not. Okay, fantastic. The first thing that I want... We're in spoilers now, for anyone who's listening. Take, if that was take unclear the red to you. pill. <laughs> yes. Take the red pill. Uh, do not become a Ren's Rights activist. Uh, instead, just uh, get ready to see the world how oh it really my. is. Um, oh, man. Um, it's, it's funny because I'm also like... Uh, I've been watching like gameplay trailers for this uh, game called Cyberpunk 2077. That is the most <laughs> generic video game title that I have ever it, heard. It is. Uh, but Keanu Reeves is voicing one of the main characters. So I'm just like all into the Matrix right now. I have a copy of the Matrix <laughs> Blu-ray sitting on my desk looking at me as well. So this is this is very weird. They got Keanu Reeves and they couldn't come up with a better name than Cyberpunk, which is a genre and 2077, which is a year it's well they, based on an original property yeah it's based on on the cyberpunk uh role-playing game yeah so the board, yeah the tabletop yeah. i don't know yeah. that that helps but okay which is why i'm really yeah. excited about it yeah it's it's the company behind uh witcher 3 so cd project i think is is their title but yeah this thing's uh supposed to be massive like yeah. Anyways, but they couldn't uh, even give it like a subtitle, like Cyberpunk oh, Revengeance or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta. Well, thank you for you joining us, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just gotta keep it simple, man. <laughs> I guess. Um. So the first thing I want to talk about is that this movie opens up uh, with an old school television, and then it zooms in as like this uh, Twilight Zone uh, opening type thing goes on, and it's Paradox Theater. And I'm just curious, like, what to, I, w- I would love to get everyone's pitch on what they think the movie gains by uh, angling itself as an episode of a television show. Because I'll be honest, I was a little concerned at first. I was like, I don't know what the point of this is. Like, this feels like a hat on a hat. I'm already watching a movie. Like, why? Why? 
why actually have the television like why show me the frame and i i I grew to an understanding with the film but i'm curious what everyone else felt so robert what were your thoughts on that yeah i mean i i like that the the film itself was kind of a an ode to like different to media itself you know to um reel-to-reel tape recorders um uh, you see at one point like uh Faye runs to get her father's like like uh camera. I think it's like probably like an eight millimeter. Um and um I've kind of took that uh the the uh, beginning with the television screen as kind of an extension of that. Um and uh I at first I was kind of skeptical too. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think you I don't think you really need to do this, you know, like, uh, and I've seen, I mean, I think there was pointed out earlier, like there have been other films, other things that have tried to do Twilight Zone riffs and it ends up being that the, 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 the thing that's being made is trying so desperately to be the Twilight Zone that it forgets to be itself. Um, thankfully this doesn't, you know, veer off into that route, um, but no, I I definitely you know in terms of like getting into uh, like the mood in terms of you know it it being kind of like a in a Twilight Zone you know riff even without that intro you know I don't mind them leaning into it especially considering like how lovingly uh, Pat- Patterson um, looks at you know antiquated technology like switchboards <laughs> and 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 even like. Um, uh uh Horowitz's character as as a, as a radio operator you know um so yeah I, I thought it was a film that very much was in love with uh you know a, antiquated or 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 vintage you know technology and, and communicative devices anyone else have any uh input on this yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you, Brian. Like, there, there was some hesitation initially when the the camera slowly starts to pan into this camera or into this TV, and I was just like, "Okay, we're we're actually gonna do this." And the way it, oops, sorry, the way it actually transitions from inside the TV, right, as it as it slowly pans to into the real world, I found just endlessly fascinating as just kind of a visual effect um which is one of those like little things where it's just like you know some people are just gonna be like okay cool this is where the movie starts and i was like whoa that that was like clever to a point where it starts to make you think like okay they they have a clear kind of visual style that they're going for and kind of a technique they're good that they're sometimes going to utilize and you know just just putting that little kind of special little touch on it um i i was definitely concerned uh like i said uh when they started out this way because i think any of these kind of movies it's tough to settle in for the first you know 10 minutes uh as you kind of establish the characters as you establish the world as you establish uh the rules that this film is going to play by and stuff of that nature um but just the same i think it doesn't break any walls that aren't already there right or that 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 
aren't already being broken by just just the din of of getting settled in to watch a movie, right? I mean, part of that is is why movie theaters often have those kind of previews is to kind of get people kind of settled in and kind of everything like that. Um, but you know, I mean, the first ten or fifteen minutes of just about any movie, you're always kind of like trying to kind of get it get up to speed, right? Um, so I don't think I don't think there's any any issue with the way that they do this. I mean, uh, I think towards the middle they pull back out, don't they? Um, they transition a couple of times. The library I- scene, they do the fuzzy interlude. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, with the with the yeah black and white television, mm-hmm. which which kind of I think I think it kind of works. It kind of doesn't. Um, I could deal without it to be honest with you, but um, I I definitely understand what they're kind of going for. Um, and and yeah, it, it is it, this whole film is a loving throwback to that kind of analog era, right? Yeah, I agree. Michael Snydell. I guess I'm going to be the uh, <laughs> the counter voice. So I, I I very much agree with you guys. That boo, I, boo. <laughs> I very much agree with you guys on part of this that it is very it is very loving. Um, but I I can't help but get the feeling a little bit that this needed to be packaged in this way to sell it a little bit easier. And I think. Even beyond that speculation, I think a few of those moments uh, – and Bill already spoke about that uh, interlude. I, I think that interlude is a little bit weird, and I think it's because they didn't really want to do the same shot composition uh, in the case of that library scene because uh, it you know, it was the same motion we were seeing just in the opposite direction. Um, I, and I think that's that, but I, I think where it – it doesn't necessarily fall apart, but where I start to feel like it qualifies the emotional experience is is the end. I, I almost think the fact that we go back to uh, the Scandalian television hour, like a reminder that we're in the Paradox Theater, I, I really do – I think it's a credit to this film that I think this film is strong enough that this stuff almost cheapens too strong a word. Because it's so well done, <laughs> but it's still – it took me too quickly out of the emotional moments. And um, I, I just want to say related to this, I, I think what was really fascinating is – I watched this a second time. I finished it uh, very shortly before we recorded, and I watched it with my partner who had, who had not seen it, and um, she – she wasn't super into it and she wasn't into it because of how much audio there was in this. And she's not a person who generally can totally pay attention to audio. That's just generally not the main medium she likes. And it was fascinating for me to think about because I didn't, you know, I I had obviously thought about the Orson Welles War of the Worlds uh, comparison and, you know, some of those other classic radio shows but I really do think so much of those analog qualities that we're speaking to would feel totally at home in here without any of the wraparounds. And like many of you, I did feel skepticism because I was like, oh, no, is this like a VHS situation where this is going to be a really pointless wraparound for, you know, an anthology or, or something? But 
again, I, I think it's the strength of the film that makes me uh, wish it wasn't there. And the only qual- the only exception I would say is if the excellent monologues where it goes uh, to black, if those were not in it, that would be a problem for me because those are the two truly exceptional moments for me. Just having nothing but voices. Yes. Well, I think that's, that's like a classic cinema faux pas, isn't it? Like you have to keep the audience engaged (laughs) and you have to do the, you know, because my big thing with, with any film is that it's a visual and an audio kind of centric medium right it needs sure. those two things to be in concert with each other and so when the screen fades to black talking heads that's that's yeah like we talk about with docs for instance yeah i mean when the screen fades to black you know i can just see people studio heads just going what the fuck are you serious like you, you can't do this and it's just like fuck you i made my movie for seven hundred thousand dollars i get to choose you know and you know, it, it's just one of those things where no longer do I have to see the emotion of a character or have to portray that. Um, and you – it reminded me of like listening to an audio book, right, sure. where, where all of a sudden you just start visualizing – because, I mean, maybe in another film, right, maybe they don't cut to black. And maybe they don't stay on the person's face. Maybe they transition to like a, a, a hazy, yeah, yeah. A hazy memory or a flashback sure. or something like that. And this is just like, nah, we, A, we don't have the budget for it. But B, like, fuck it. Like, we're going to be brave and we're going to know that our monologues are so fucking good that they're going to keep the audience engaged. And when, when that happened, to be honest with you, like I set up, like mm-hmm. I was, I, I, I immediately started becoming more engaged with the film and wanting to listen to it with a just kind of a keener ear. So yeah, I, I love that kind of choice because it's, it's brave, but it's also, it just highlights what is really, really exceptional in this film. And, and that's some of those dialogue scenes. I, I think the one other thing, uh, Bill, I, I, I want to point out, I think the reason those scenes work so well, especially the Mabel one, where it's just, you know, the cameras uh, trained on her for, you know, her monologue. It, it, I, it's hard to tell in real time, but I would say it's no no less than five minutes. Um, like, it, it's definitely pretty long. And But I think what makes that even stronger is... Everett and especially Faye are great actors of listening. Like you truly feel like uh, they are reacting in real time. And, you know, you it, it feeds into their characters. Like Faye is someone who feels the deep grief of that scene. And Everett is someone who is buying into it in pieces, but then very quickly is, you know, his cynicism it is uh, – Sorry, creeping in. And I think the way that those three characters kind of um, interact with each other is what that may what makes that scene so special beyond the the monologue being really good in in itself. Yeah, so 
watching this movie, I was struck by the fact that it actually takes the form um, that a lot of great old horror and science fiction stories did, which is that of an epistolary. Mm. Um, which for anyone who doesn't know is uh, when your <laughs> fiction is written as like a series of documents or letters or, you know, it, it basically is like there's not an overarching narrator and it's as though you have been given a a parcel full of the first person accounts or whatever that are going to be needed to take this on. Uh, for instance, the novel Dracula is written in such a way. Um, the original War of the Worlds broadcast is kind of done like this. And um, a couple of the writings of H.P. Lovecraft are likewise done like this. Um, and in those, you will usually... Uh, actually, another one uh, that's also germane to what I'm about to say is House of Leaves, um, the cult novel that many people may have read. And in that, you, you usually do have like a, a first-person narrator or like your actual quote-unquote protagonist who's like, I have found amongst my father's leavings upon his death, like, you know, a series of letters and such as they are, you know, and then I spoke with a, a man who had knowledge of such a thing and he said, um, and it's, it's, oh, it, it's one of the most fun ways to get information like this in these stories that aren't so much like Ricky's got a problem and through fighting aliens, Ricky's going to solve his life um, when they're more just like, isn't this a weird thing to consider? And so for, for me, uh, there was a part of me that was like, I don't know about this, but then I kind of really got to dig the fact that like this was wrapping itself even further in the trappings of that by putting it as like, this is a Twilight Zone episode that is about a small town with some weird happenings. But then it's also like, oh, the weird thing that happened to the woman who works at the switchboard that then creeps into, oh, the the talk show, or the, it's not even supposed to be a talk show, the radio show that suddenly started taking callers. And then, oh, like old lady McGillicuddy down the lane, she's got some <laughs> stories to tell as well. And so what began with me being like, er, er, I don't know if we need this. This is kind of cute turned into like this is just another layer for them to celebrate the kind of style of fiction that they are talking about that they are that they're doing and then the even more important reason that you do it is because it's kind of like a consistent nudge to be like you know this is not the real world like we are working within a genre and within a, a framing of story here that allows for certain things to happen and for certain weirdness to exist um, there's a reason that, you know, Rod Serling does, does those uh, intros to the Twilight Zone because he very much does not want you to be looking at them through a frame of reality. So that's why it's so important for him to say, like, this isn't you. This isn't us. This isn't America. This isn't even the world. This is the Twilight Zone. <laughs> These people have entered a world with completely different rules. And uh, I think having that, you know, paradox theater milieu uh, really helps out with that. Would you be bothered if there was a narrator? And this is to kind of everyone, but especially after you said this, Brian. Like if there was a like if there was like a, a wizened old man who began by saying like <laughs> omniscient, yeah. Okay, now here's another question: Would that would that narrator still be talking inside of Paradox Theater, or would that take the place of the television show? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the way that you said oh. <laughs> I would not like the latter for a reason I'm not 
Sure, but that's my gut reaction to that. I don't know what you would have a narrator be. I don't know how you would pitch the narrator. Unless you made it like Rennie or something and just be like, oh, the night that Everett stole my trombone. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I feel like that's like a bridge too far. Like, I I feel like you do need it to be like you could have it sort of be like a cosmic narrator, you know, I guess like, you know, I'm taking you on a journey to a small town in New Mexico called Cayuga. But um, I feel like I would be in a movie. I would be very curious who the shit is narrating this movie to me, (laughs) (laughs) because I feel like outside of like the opening of uh, Magnolia, you don't often get a non related narrator to a film. But the pilot of the Twilight Zone, it's pretty insane the first time Serling's voice comes in. Oh, yeah. I, so, okay, here's the thing. If you could have gotten Rod Serling to every 20 <laughs> to 30 minutes, like get panned to so that he can smoke a cigarette and stare meaningfully into your eyes and tell you some shit, I'm all on board for that. Uh, but I feel like I don't even know who would fulfill that desire in our hearts right now. So I feel like I, I could be down for it, but I feel like it might be trickier. And also it would then remove one layer of celebratory artifice from this story. What, what did you guys think? Yeah, I personally would not want a narrator. I mean, uh, from a you know technical story storytelling perspective, like a narrator draws its you are drawn to that voice. This is the overarching voice. This is the thing that is guiding us through the story. However, I think the great thing about the vast of night is that these are all characters who probably have not been able to tell the story before this night, you know, whether it's like the, whether it's the two, like basically like AV club kids, um, and Jake Horowitz's character and uh, McCormick's character, um, or it's, you know, Billy calling in, uh, or it's Gail Cronauer's character, like all these people on this night, you know, while there's this basketball game happening, you know, they're the, the cool people and the, and the cool kids and the cheerleaders and the jocks and everyone and all the, you know, the city officials are at this game. These are the people who aren't, <laughs> they can't go to this game. They're like left on the margins, um, at least for the AV kids. And then like when it comes to uh, Gail Cronauer character and, and, and Bruce Davis's character, two people who've been ignored. And so I think by inserting a narrator, you take a bit of the punch out of us focusing on their stories, which I think is the great thing about you know the the blank screen i think that's the great thing about the camera only focusing on gail is that these are two characters that you can't help but listen to you can't help but focus on yeah i agree with that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah i i agree i think i'm just getting for some reason brian i'm getting stuck on your your point about artifice because i i think what is interesting to me about this film is less that it's it's a riff and more that it's both a like overview of americana i mean i mean like Faye and everett you know they're 
out of a, a Norman, well, the platonic ideal of a Norman Rockwell painting, uh, not the actual Norman Rockwell. Um, but it, I think that to like suggest that it's only a celebration of this certain kind of artifice and this certain thing, I think still, it, it, in a way, it like takes away some of the actual power this this movie has which is perhaps why i like it more as something like uh described as a campfire uh, story because i i just i and and they even you know nudge towards this i think mabel says something you know she's talking about a uh, where some people disappeared and that you know they said she says at one point that's where the legend of the old witch oh, it's a really evocative like three-word um three word uh, like folk tale she refers to yet you're like you might have heard about this incident uh through the legend of you know something 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 but i I digress my point being that though is that like i think there's something to me about the possibility of a narrator and just as it currently is that you are almost threatening to you know undermine what is actually here like there's something a little bit weird to me uh, i don't know i'm feeling like my argument is is very strange here uh, that you know like i'm throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little <laughs> bit being bothered by something this minute but i think it's it's the fact that like, I don't know, I'd like bump this up another half star or something if there wasn't these qualifications. And, and you know, to speak to maybe another Twilight Zone riff, like, uh, you know, we spoke about Coherence, Brian, or, or Primer, or, you know, I, any number of those. And very few of them can I think, I think of, are doing this wraparound other than, like, the anthology that I was thinking of. Like, there's something... Again, just weirdly corporate <laughs> about the way this is packaged to me, and I'm not sure it makes total sense. But I it's guess weird I'm that just you trying think to get it's corporate. This feels decidedly anti-corporate to me. It's like, like, like I think Bill said, like, who the hell would allow this out of the editing room if they were going to like release it in the theater or something? I think what it's, what it's also bold. is yeah. is important for me in in the level of artifice that it's laying down. Um, and this is something that I think uh, Robert brought up earlier, is that it is allowing uh, to exist within that kind of space people who otherwise were not allowed access to it in the past. Um, in fact, even even as they're talking, um, when Everett is interviewing Billy, you know, he he makes mention of the fact like, oh, we, we've never had a, a black caller on this program before. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like, so it, it's, it's like so many layers deep. Cause it's like, Hey, that radio station, if you're taking that reality as face value has never had a black voice on before. And B like the twilight zone, while it had, you know, actors of color and from time to time was not specifically calibrated toward them. Um, I mean, like it's, it's just, there's so much going on that you get from that. It's, it reminds me again of, of Victor LaVale's novel, The Ballad of Black Tom, which was him taking Lovecraft and then 
making uh, a, a novel based off of one of Lovecraft's most outlandishly racist, which is saying something for Lovecraft short stories uh, for the purpose of putting uh, a black voice into it. And um, so, yeah, I think that I think that you don't quite get that if you just make this a narrated uh, movie that that sometimes like dips into those things. I think that there is I won't say like a corrective to history going on, but I think that there's a, a layer of of meaning that otherwise would be lost if you didn't have that. I don't know. Am I crazy? Would anyone like to agree with me or disagree with me? I don't have a real sense of what the actual reaction of what white kids in 50s New Mexico would have to a a black collar or, you know, I, I guess I'm... Yeah, I, I I I I guess you're right. I I I guess you're right that it does kind of need to be pitched as a as a corrective. For some reason, I thought there was some fidelity to the past, but I really have no sense whether there is or or not. I I don't I, I don't know. Like Robert, I'm I'm curious whether you, did you guys think of this as you know. This is just the 50s with some winks, or did you guys very much see this as this is the Twilight Zone? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, mean, what what are you you specifically talking about? Like, like 50s with some winks, or or Twilight Zone? Or are you saying like the the fictitious? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Robert seemed to have uh, a point he wanted to pounce on. No, no, actually, yeah, for some clarification, actually, too. <laughs> so everyone is confused by Michael's question. Not not necessarily his question, but the more of like, okay, let's let's talk about what, what you're actually ask, asking, right? Um, are you asking if we feel like this is a false reality? Or are you feeling, or are you saying that is this more of like an actual 1950s set kind of drama or, you know, mystery? Yeah. To, to make it like, to relate it specifically to time, is this a 50s set drama or is this a movie looking back a vision of that 50s? Because I would say other that we haven't talked about it. The one scene that I think is the actual dud in this movie is when they're talking about what the 1970s and the 1990s are going to be like. That's, that's the <laughs> one scene that does not uh, at all work for me. I, um, I mean, I, I like that scene. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that scene as well because it's, it's like, if you go back and you read those magazines, right? Like, like that's, that's popular mechanics and, and stuff like that. Like, Man, that's that's what they were celebrating and that's what they were trying to do. Now, I mean, it's it's a little bit on the nose that she's talking about these two things like, you know, obviously Clam cell shell, phone, video phones, yeah, yeah <laughs> cell phones and, and you know, even like the the Google like uh self-driving cars and, you know, the Tesla. <laughs> sure, sure. Like that. But like I don't know, like that's I I, I love that she mentions 
the the uh, tubes that are going to run underneath all yeah, the cities, and, yeah. <laughs> and and that's how people are going to travel. And and I love that his his uh, comeback to that is like, okay, wait, so you're going to have the tubes underneath the city and the wires on the road, and so you're going to have he cars. Was, he was and- like legitimately concerned that the tube idea would out place the car idea which he really seemed to like yeah and and so he was like he was like hold on hold on and she was like well one's for quick travel long distances and one is for you know going to uh your local uh what did they call it like a creamery back then or or something like that like that's that's one of the things that i i wanted to mention that i love so much about his kind of monologue uh when he's on the radio is he mentions that this little mom and pop, like, uh, like I said, creamery ice, ice cream place or something like that, uh, is closed right now. But after the game, they're going to be open for an hour so that all the people that are in town or, you know, uh, watching the game can kind of hang out and, and go get some food and, you know, talk about the game and just kind of, you know, socialize with everybody after the game. And I was like, that's, that's so fucking clever. And, you know, I don't know if they actually did that kind of shit, but like, that's, that's smart. (laughs) I mean, if you're in a small town like that, there's no profit in not doing something like that. Like that's, it's just genius, genius, uh, advertising, right? Like, I I mean, it's great advertising, uh, but it is also like it, uh, one of the things that I, I think that we, we may have skimmed over is the world building in this is so yeah. well done, like so finely done. Like everyone seems to know one another to at least the extent where they can name each other. When a she's really at, good small town film. Yeah. When she's at the switchboard and she's calling to try to check on her her little sister and like, you know, having a conversation with her who's like, Oh, I'm, I'm wrist deep in a bowl of cookie dough right now. Like, you know, can I, <laughs> can I get my cookie sheet in the oven and wash my hands off? It's like, Oh my God. Did people used to talk like this? Like maybe it's cause I was born in New York, you know, but like there, I have a, I have a limit for how much of that nonsense I can handle from people. <laughs> I just, I, I have had moments like that where it's like, at work like i'll be like hey you know uh i need this by the end of the day oh okay well like, uh, so uh, what i was gonna do is i was gonna go get some tea um i haven't had lunch yet i'm gonna get some lunch and then i have to wear the it just... end of day is five o'clock will it be done by five o'clock yes i do not fucking need to know what's happening between now and then <laughs> please yes oh, no. God. like this Didn't is you why... live in texas as well so <laughs> I lived in Texas too. Yeah. So that was another big problem for me. The people down there are the kindest, nicest people I've ever met. And I hated every single fucking one of them. <laughs> they were just like, just like two of one of them were just so welcoming. Like, and you know, there was no like, it's just so weird. Like the, the, it made me feel like they were mocking me because I didn't have to do anything to earn their respect or friendship. There was one girl the one angry young woman who called me a Yankee. Um, and I loved her because she felt real to me. Whereas everyone else is like, Oh new, Yeah. New school. Huh? That can be tough. Well, you know what? My name's Dallas. Um, and if you need anything from me, you know, let me know. I'd love to help you out. And then like some other person would come over and be like, Hey Chester, like saw you were new. You're in my English class. I think like, Hey man, if you ever need any help with anything. And I'm just like, what the shit is this? You don't know me. I don't know you. 
<laughs> is it a cult? Like, what's happening here? Um, this is great. This is that's great. the. That's oh, yeah. like the. It was aside from the weather. The worst thing I could say about Texas is that like they're all just so nice that it makes you feel like they're pumping you for information. <laughs> and it was really I weird too because I was in a very diverse area. So like, Vietnamese with strong Texas accents would talk to me like that too. And it was just very like, and there were a bunch of British people cause British petroleum was there. And so like, you know, walk up to a guy who's on the football team. He's like, Oh, mate, how are you doing today? And I'm just like, you are fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, apparently this movie was filmed in a place called Whitney, Texas. So that's interesting. It's all making sense. <laughs> Wait, what? My personality is making sense? No, you're you're like I I I would have loved to see your like facial cringe when they get into like the layers of expressions that are all over this movie. Well, that's I in a movie I kind of and I, you can almost feel uh Faye uh Cayuga Queen 400 watt Faye getting real Kind of like, okay, yes, okay, right, yeah. Because for once in her life, there is some urgency. I love the fact that, like, she doesn't know that she should get in a car. <laughs> she just keeps running. <laughs> she, he, he, like, chases her down. He's like, why are you running everywhere? Like, I have a car that I stole. And she's like, I don't know. I don't have a car. I've never been in cars. I run everywhere. <laughs> it's great. The, movie, the movie's got a real sense of texture to it. It does. It it really, really does. And and I love like the fact that when she goes to uh, it, it's her sister that's being babysit, right? Um, when she goes to like she makes a dead sprint several times in this film, and when she goes running after her little sister that's being babysit, and she picks her up out of the crib, like I. I think my fiance was like, wait, what, why is she? And I was like, and, and I'm never able to do this. I was like, she's got to go get her baby or her, her sister, because the, uh, the other woman that was supposed to be watching her disappeared. And the other, <laughs> and I was just like, this is what I know exactly what's happening right now. And I, I, I was just so proud of myself, but also proud of this movie because like it held my hand enough that the I, bar. <laughs> it held my hand enough that I actually knew exactly what was happening in that sequence. And I was like, I feel really good about myself right now. <laughs> I I think the sister, the little sister is the weakest thread in this film. It just feels like a weird tie in that I just Okay, <laughs> it's, it's good fit. color, but it is weird that like she picks her up and she's there for the rest of the movie. Yes, it, it, yeah. that is odd. Yeah, do I you, agree. Robert, I'm curious. Do you think that there's a reason they did that? Like, is it just to add stakes in your opinion, or? Yeah, I don't know the reason they did. Like, I think <laughs> I think like probably the the best explanation is yeah, is, is just to like raise the stakes a little bit. I mean, I do think that uh, this is a. You know, I mean, this is like clearly like part of the vast night is like escapism, right? Mm-hmm. And you have the three probably youngest characters that we have in the film, you know, running away, and we have the one of the very few old characters we talk to or older characters, um, 
uh, being Grace, uh, I mean, Gail uh, Cronauer's character, you know, saying, take me with you, you know, this like almost like kick the can moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that was like kind of like the, the, the gist I could think of, you know, like of the best I could think of like, oh, I guess like this is, this is just the, uh, this is, this is the, the, the pure youth <laughs> leaving this, you know, that have wanted to leave this town. At least like Everett has wanted to leave this town. Um, uh, Faye, Faye maybe wants to leave this town, but also knows that like it's the 1950s, uh, you know, she's a woman. There aren't that many prospects for her other than moving to a bigger switchboard, as she says, yeah. mm-hmm. but there is, you know, some sense that, like, if she had the freedom, she had the opportunity, she would want to leave this town or pr- maybe pursue something else. Uh, but is only stuck in this town because of, you know, the circumstances of the time and 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 her gender. Um, but yeah, I I can't give a good explanation on why the baby's in this. <laughs> well, I so, think, Brent, go ahead. Oh, well, I was, I was going to ask to follow up on that. You know, like the whole like idea of like these are people who want to leave this town, and now they they have. Um, left the whole damn planet. So, do you read this as like a happy ending, or a sad ending, or is the ambivalence part of the appeal? Uh, I think the ambivalence is part of the appeal. I don't. I mean, we don't know if they've left. We just see ash and dust. <laughs> <laughs> they could have been incinerated. <laughs> well, that's the thing I hadn't even thought of. I thought that that was like a um, like a. I thought that was like a an indication of like the fact that. Not even like no one ever found their tape recorder, but yeah, they could have been incinerated. That could be a real thing. It's like the Cloverfield ending. <laughs> Wait, which Cloverfield? The the first the first one. Okay, because <laughs> now Michael had to there's think of it. Now. Yeah, yeah, there's three. Okay, well, I, I, you know, it's it's interesting, Robert, that you mention that you know her her uh, lack of opportunities. I mean, I think in a way the, the baby, you know, it is an emotional prop, but I think it, it's one more thing that does show a certain empathy that Everett has. I'm not saying he doesn't have it, but I think Faye has skills in some of these situations that, are, are what actually get them farther. You know, as much as Everett is the one who's constantly, you know, moving, is, uh, you know, uh, constantly knows what to say in every situation. Um, and, you know, even to the point where, you know, if if someone starts rambling, he's like, well, let's let's get back to what we're actually doing. Like, I I still think that the her holding her sister is like one more example of here's another here's another difficulty that this woman has to go through as you said like her dreams are not about college and and you get that great line wherever it's like there's loans and she's like yeah but like it's 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 not anything that's serious. And I think Everett, you know, he's already left the town in his mind. And, and Faye, of course, would like to be that person. But I think the baby is is only underlining that inability. Now, is it is it a prop? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I still thought there was something I, I did think there was like it was one more example, a material example of 
Everett's privilege. That's at least how I read it. Would anyone yeah, like no, to respond? I, I definitely <laughs> think they could have been turned to ash, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I like that too. But no, I, <laughs> I love, I I love mean, the idea that now we're just going to be like, I'm team ash. <laughs> <laughs> Burned to ash. All right. Um, no, I think, I think any of these kind of endings are always, you kind of extrapolate out, right? Um, you bring into it what's, what your kind of background is and everything like that. So, um, I think I think that ending is uplifting. Um, <laughs> not no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. uh, <laughs> hey, well, look, the joke was there. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I definitely think there's kind of a happy tinge to that ending because I think what what we're supposed to kind of lead be led to is that that there are further adventures out there kind of waiting for them mm. um you know i'm i'm not on team uh aliens probe everybody right like i'm i'm not not into that kind of idea so, so you're more I, maybe like close encounters of the third kind like diplomatic mission come explore the universe yeah, maybe maybe something along those lines, or like, hey, let's have a beer. I don't, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things. I don't think I don't think they're sticking stuff up up everybody's butts. So, um, like, I I, think, I, just, I think if it, it, here's here's my deal, right? Okay. If if they're able to be in this universe and stay out of like the limelight for as long as they have, and have these secret little like you know ufos that can hover around without making a ton of noise and like drawing all this government attention and blah 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 you know despite what the fbi released this year um if if they could do all that i think they can do better than sticking things up our butts to like figure out (laughs) what we're made of like i I think they already figured that out i need to say that you said like come up and have a beer and immediately (laughs) my mind was just like a bunch of aliens who were like we have to, Scrap you know, get some earthlings and make sure that they are comfortable. And then it's like they do a study and then you get tight taken up on their ship and you're like advanced beings like God only knows what I'm going to see. And they're like, welcome. Have some McDonald's. We know that it is the most popular restaurant <laughs> yes. on your planet. Uh, great. Do you, hey, can I can I have like, a can I have a beer? We have brought Budweiser. We learned it was the king of your beers. It's just like, oh fuck, these guys don't know what marketing is. They're just yes. they're simpletons. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I, I Do you I have any that. Doritos? No. The bag said there would be an explosion of flavor. <laughs> we cannot have that in space. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> oh, Doctor Pepper. <laughs> oh man. Um, we hear, we hear this doctor really knows his shit. Yeah, all their medicine is just Doctor Pepper. Um, what was I going to say? I had another point to make, but that was the funnier one. Oh yeah, it is kind of weird how for a while there, every like two weeks, the New York Times was like, the Pentagon fully endorses UFOs. Aliens have visited us. And everyone was just like, eh, yeah, eh. Trump tweeted some shit. I got to really focus on that. And then there, now we have like the pandemic and everything else going on. And there's just probably some poor bastard clutching a manila folder to his chest being like, but they're here. Don't you realize what this means? Yeah. 
Yeah, but there's also an asteroid coming. There's killer bees. Like, <laughs> I well, can't the killer bees talking. have been here for a while. It's the uh, uh, the, the murder wasp, hornets the that are the real yeah. problem. A, a murder yeah. hornets. Though, yeah, the, uh, one of the side effects of global warming is that killer bee swarms will slowly move further north. Oh, mm. thank you for that. Yeah, I, I really needed to know that. You're welcome. Um, when I was a kid, I was deathly afraid of killer bees. Um, I'm going to fold this in. I'm going to bring this back to the vest tonight. Watch me do this. Um, I would go to the library and I would get out two kinds of books. One would be books that had to do with like all the things that I thought could kill me. And then the other would be books about UFOs. And a lot of times these things would like wrap into each other because it would be like books about like local legends and urban legends and lore and so there was one time when I brought home a book that was legitimately all about killer bees, which why it was in an elementary school library, I do not know. And the other was on um, like Tales of Alien Abductions and like ghosts and shit. <laughs> and so that's another reason that this movie really appealed to me is because a, a lot of what's going on here uh, is is very much like that. I mean, you, you've got uh, the, the old one, uh, Gail, who is perfectly aligned with both of those things, actually. And yeah. then you've got Billy, who I just like his voice. I, I would listen to that man read the phone book. Like he 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 gives such a an empathetic, like beautiful, just really like soul rending monologue. And it's just all voice. And it's just incredible to to yeah. witness and behold in this movie. It's uh it's really great. And I love I just love the amount of attention to detail and stuff that goes into the story without making him sound, you know, like the, the bard, the poet laureate of the United States or something. But like when he talks about how they're lifting off and the men on the ground start throwing dirt over the the runway like they'd never been there and the uh, the mm -hmm. signal starts. to, I'm just like, that's so evocative and so cool. And I want to know everything about it and how he talks about like the shadow network of people who are like trying to figure out what it was they were all doing that's gotten them sick. Yeah, I I love I love the fact that he mentions that none of them are are used frequently enough so that they can put any kind of picture together, right? And he's like he's like they keep drawing people from different areas and then he's also mentioning how that almost all of them were exclusively African african-american or, or some other minority um and so it, it's one of those things where you just start kind of piecing it together and and you start realizing like the more he talks the less crazy he sounds right mm. and that's that's always scary when you're dealing with anyone that's dealing with some kind of conspiracy theory or anything like that is you know you get kind of sucked in by people that can spin a good yarn uh, whether it's you know in in this case whether you want to believe him or not, it's one of those things that that you're just like oh th this is why charismatic people can get away with so much, right? I I, I briefly implied or I briefly mentioned it earlier before spoilers, but I think Mabel totally falls into that as well. You know, like for so long she seems convincing until you start hearing almost the patterns. Of uh, of people, you know, who talk about seeing things and, and you know, like it's very much like it, it, she slowly starts creeping more into this, like, you know, the crazy old coot arch archetype <laughs> or something like I, I, I thought that was that was really powerful and actually really, really sad. Yeah, I do love her saying, like, take me with you. And and and, <laughs> and uh, Everett's just like, nope. 
not gonna do it <laughs> that's not happening well uh, i mean very uh, what, very, very sorry ma'am but no goddamn way <laughs> what what do we make of the fact that their two compatriots at one point the the people in I don't know. Are they in a Cadillac? They're, they're in, a they're in the, the red vehicle. The, the red vehicle. Yeah. Um, that they, when they hear the recording of her uh, repeating that kind of uh, odd language and, and uh, words, that they start to kind of look up into the sky, right? Like, I mean, what, they were what, clearly what, like under the influence of whatever that, whatever, well, like, you know, the UFO. Because mm-hmm. the, um, so, the 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 words that that woman was speaking were like a means of, I I guess like breaking the trance or like revealing the trance. It's it's very revealing. weird. It's, yeah, yeah revealing, it's it's super think, but... it's super interesting. And that's one of those things where like, I think the way the movie's constructed and the atmosphere that it builds, like you can get away with just having that be like a one off thing, mm-hmm. um, and not have to like lead to something. I I in watching it the second time, I realized that, um. There's a line early where Faye is like, you know, I got this, like, I got my, uh, my horn and a bunch of, uh, bobby pins or like hairpins. And he's like, hairpins. And she's like, mom always says, like, you should have a bunch of hairpins because you never know when you're going to need them. And I'm like, is she going to kill an alien with a hairpin or something? Like, because the first time I was, John Wick, somebody. The first time I was watching this, I didn't know what kind of movie this was going to be. And to quote sure. my favorite thing that I ever heard in a movie theater in my entire life, uh, leaving signs. They were the two people ahead of me and my friend Ben as we were walking out. And they said, man, we sat through that whole movie and saw like one alien. I thought there'd be 20, 30 of them spitting shit up and stabbing people. And so I didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe there'd be 20 to 30 aliens spitting shit up and stabbing people in this movie. (laughs) Um, And the, the hair, the bobby pin, the hairpin thing never, you know, quote, pays off, end quote. But I, I don't think it's supposed to. I think it's just one of those nice little little character flourishes and i like that this movie doesn't feel the need to abide by those rules mm-hmm. i'm also just a real fan of the way that everett talks i love the slang <laughs> i like that he says uh what, what is it cut the gas cube i'm like is that like she's three times a square like what is he talking like why is she a cube like this is crazy i love that she too is confused by his slang uh, when he says we're baking biscuits and then she calls the recording a biscuit and he's like, no, it's not a, it's just a bacon, bacon. Way, yeah. <laughs> bacon, yeah, bacon, 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 yeah, breaker, breaker. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. She is, um, she is, she's a, a real interesting character just in the way they balance her like naivete yeah. and her curiosity and her obvious kind of like, uh. I don't her know, like costuming as well on <laughs> like, Everett. Yeah. And her costuming, but like with like going a sock hop, you're almost, <laughs> I almost had let's go to the hop as the first song to open this. Uh, but then awesome. I opted for Everclear's AM radio. Um, sure. But yeah, I almost had that. Uh, what I was going to say is like, she, you, you kind of wonder like, Oh, is she like a, I don't know, a nafish flibber to gibbert who, you know, is like just too, Jesus. What? I don't know. That was a lot. Flipper gibbet? <laughs> Isn't it flipper gibbet? Is it flipper gibbet? Flipper gibbet? Someone Google this for me. I don't know. I am. I am. <laughs> um, look for look for I, I a way that any budget, female so. protagonist in the Aaron Sorkin movie has been described, and they will at some oh, point oh call God. her flipper gibbet. Um, okay, flipper gibbet. Flipper gibbet. It's not. It's F L, right? 
Yeah, F L I B B E R T I G I B B E T. Silent. Flippity gibbet. Yeah, I feel like that's what I'm saying. I can't. I can't do this right now. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. Um, I just keep trying to, to to. I keep trying to compliment the writing and the acting of Faye, and I keep getting sidelined. What I'm trying to say is, it would be very easy for her to be the babe in the woods, innocent with no applicable skills. But as Michael has already said, she has the soft skills necessary to talk to people. But in addition, that friggin' scene where she's flipping the switches <laughs> and pulling it out, I was watching her and I was just like, there is so much confidence in the way that she is plugging those things in and pulling them out and letting the cords zip around. I could have watched that for like 40 minutes. <laughs> I could have watched yeah. an entire movie play out over her working a switchboard. Yeah, no, like I was I was endlessly fascinated by that sequence and the way that she kind of interacts with everybody. And, uh, you know, a it's it's just got that kind of classic analog feel that makes you just want to reach out and just kind of like play with the board. Right. Um, Oh, yeah. But the the second thing is like she really knows what's happening in this town. And like like that gives you such a like such a a large sense of like what this town is about and and how people like at one point she's trying to uh locate an officer um and she's asking this lady about like okay so do you see any officers around no okay do you see jerry and and she <laughs> she's like she's like jerry's jerry's with with beth right so if you see beth then jerry's nearby and she's like well do you want me to go like ask beth and like go track down jerry and she's just like no i'm sure this is probably just nothing but you're just like jesus like she knows exactly where somebody's gonna when they're talking to the people in the car um someone's the 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 wife says like oh ask Faye. she knows all about what's going on with like the gildebrands Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know because Faye knows fucking everything because Faye's got her finger on the pulse she's 500 watt Faye, Cayuga Queen. Um, I, I, uh, I have a, I have a question that just popped into my head and I need an answer. So, um, <laughs> it's flibber gibbet. Flibberty gibbet. It's flibberty gibbet. I've been saying that. <laughs> all right. All right. Maybe I was adding a couple extra syllables. I don't know. Um, oh crap. Now I can't remember. Oh, uh, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do we think that the reason the lights are flickering is because a squirrel bit through the wire? Because I heard that a squirrel bit through the wire once. <laughs> uh, no, I, I thought it was a chipmunk. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's possible. Well, you know, there used to be an owl living up in there where the uh, they keep the uniforms. And uh, Sarah Morris, she found a bat skull in her pocket. I, Everybody I would have been fixed if they would have got Emmett instead of Everett. <laughs> yeah, like wow, that's, that's just get a, a, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern side cool about Emmett. <laughs> and, and I love that they just start like arguing over like, and he's like, he's like, I'm Everett, and they're like, No, you're not. You're not. <laughs> you did, like, like you should be working for the for the electrical company. He's like, 
Nope, I'm Everett. Wait, You're Emmett about... worked at the radio station, yeah, right? No, yeah, Emmett never worked at the radio station. You're positive <laughs> that Emmett never worked at the radio station? <laughs> just like, I'm Everett. I'm the DJ. What are we doing right now? I, I just, love, yeah, I it's like, am I confused he, he, he about the name of the person I want, or am I confused about the actual person that I want? Yes, uh, I love. And that then he, he just gets, bounces. Yeah, he he gets he gets like a minute into that conversation, he's like, nope, I'm out of here. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, man, I'm, I'm going to make another Keanu Reeves reference, I guess. Um, it reminds me a lot of like John Wick where there's all these little extra details on the periphery of the main story that I feel are just like, just put this neat little bow on the film and i michael i know you hate that kind of idea but i i just love that that kind of broadens the horizon of this world and just gives it kind of this lived in feel i mean look it's it's obviously like a heightened reality because a nobody fucking talks like this you know outside of like a what is it uh who who are we just like Aaron Sorkin and yeah, Sorkin. Movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody talks outside of like those kind of movies, right? Where where they have like a a five minute uh, uh you know argument over nothing. Um, but no, I, I, I yeah, I, I just feel like like I love that kind of stuff. Like like her whole thing about no, you cannot hold my my tuba or whatever the fuck it's is not a that? tuba. I don't know. It's a horn of some sort. Great. It's now a, I just heard that being said in the voice of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not the tuba. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Truly, um, I'm losing my mind. But yeah, the, <laughs> like, like, yeah, just the the whole conversation about that. How, um, and then just like how they they bring up the fact that like one guy put a horn behind his car and ran over it, and then they like <laughs> dash out to go interview people to see if they know about it. Yeah. I love his thing about how he he says like I didn't say that to upset you, and she's like I'm not upset. And he's like because I have a tendency to upset girls. <laughs> yeah. and, and she mentions, well, maybe it's because you're an asshole. <laughs> you're just like, yep, I get that, I get that. <laughs> but he's really cool. He's definitely an asshole, but he's really cool. Yeah, do we all agree that Everett's the coolest cat this side of uh, the Windy City? Uh, Robert, thoughts? <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, it's a false bravado. I don't know. It's an artifice, you know, like with, I love the moment where she, she, he's, he's beginning to record and she's like, why are you talking like that? He's like, <laughs> uh, uh, why are you talking like that? He's talking like, why do you always change your voice when you're on the radio? He's like, I don't know. That's just how radio sounds. <laughs> yes. And so it feels like Everett is like this guy who's like, who is he's an AV kid, right? He's on the he's on the periphery. He's not he's not one of the cool kids, not really. I mean, but he's built this persona that has like clearly been informed by you know radio and 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 other mediums of like, oh, this is how like this 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 is how to be like the cool hipster in town. <laughs> yeah, he's got and, his buddy Holly glasses. He's he calls everyone I don't know cats and kittens. He's baking biscuits. Yeah, I, he's 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 definitely a. I I think actually Faye is probably the the character that's most comfortable in her own skin. I'd agree with yeah. that. 
I'd, I'd agree with that to a point because she's she's also enraptured with him a lot. Um, but like, I I like the fact that she is confident enough to like go up to him, talk to him about this stuff, and like and like have a conversation with him. Right? She's she's not just flustered the whole time. No. Um, like she she pushes back against some of the stuff that he says. Like again, like she calls him out when when he changes his voice to do like a sound recording. She's like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like, why do you always do that?" Um, and so yeah, no, I I really like her character a lot. Yeah, yeah I, I I immediately went to try to see what else she was in that I might have seen, and um. She's been she's been in a bunch. She's clearly a, a working actress. I have seen none of this stuff. Um, <laughs> one of them is so the one I just see now is the dog who saved Christmas, which I kind of want to watch just to figure out how the dog did that. Um, well, she, she apparently started out on "Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader?" She which was one makes of the kids sense. on that. She was one of the fifth graders, I presume. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> That's interesting. Um. She was on the Ellen DeGeneres show for whatever reason. That's, I don't know. It's very weird. On um, Curb for a bit. I'm sure she does something cringy or Larry does something cringy around her. Probably <laughs> that one. Yeah. Um, she's in VFW. Also 62 episodes of Ant Farm, which I don't think is an alien Ant Farm show, which makes me sad. <laughs> it is A-N-T Farm. What is the ANT? A musical prodigy gets into a gifted program called Advanced Natural Talents at the local high school. What? <laughs> Look, I didn't make it. It's a Disney No, I show. know. What, what is... That's a, I feel that's like a you're taking me to task shit. today for a lot of stuff that was not my choice. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten that a bit. I was talking to, to someone today and I, I said... um. I'm getting my daughter like a gift and it's like a, a box of stuff that's like crafts that teach steam. And they were like steam. And I was like, yeah, you know, science, technology, whatever. And they're like, I thought it was STEM. And I'm like, well, there's an A now. And they're like, what does the A stand for? I'm like art. And they're just like, art doesn't go with science, technology, engineering, and math. And I was like, why are you mad at me? I didn't do it. <laughs> and then I looked it up because I was like, maybe it's architecture or maybe it's arithmetic. And now the M stands Astronomy. for something different. And I looked it up and it's actually arts, parentheses, liberal arts, which makes even less sense. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just like I said, uh, I've been getting called out for a lot of stuff that's not my fault. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> um. Yeah, but she's she's great. I, I I like both of these actors, and like I said up front, I'm looking forward to seeing more of their stuff. I'm curious uh, what Andrew Patterson is going to do next. Um, uh, this is this is probably weird because like three years ago, this guy drops this thing, and then tomorrow we'd find out that he's directing like Multiple Man or some bullshit. You know, like I I don't even Multiple Man. <laughs> multiple Man. Like I don't know. Isn't that a hero? Isn't that a superhero? Yeah. <laughs> No, multiple man's definitely. Uh, I think it's an X Man. Or I something tried to like think that. of a Z grade superhero, but then I was like, Z grade is such a deep cut. I don't even think I know any Z grade superheroes. Multiple man, <laughs> Michael. Again, I did not invent multiple man. Brian, come up with a better superhero. Jeez. His name is Jamie Mardock, Madrox. 
and he's also known as Multiple Man. Right. If you, right with Marvel don't, don't, get, don't get mad at me. His creator was Len Wein, so maybe you can go and yell at him. All right, what is his origin story? T- tell me his stupid origin I don't story. Know what his origin story is? <laughs> well, he is in X Men: The Last Stand. Oh, that's yeah. why no one knows about him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's he's a mutant. He doesn't have an origin story. He's born this way. Okay, they played fine. a Lady Gaga song when he walked <laughs> onto the street. <laughs> oh no! I'm throwing fire here. Um, oh. I can't even remember what I was gonna say because okay. Michael started yelling at me about things that are out of my control. Here, here we go. Here we go. When Jamie was born, the doctor's slap causes him to multiply into two identical babies. Wait, so the doctor did, did, did the it? Doctor <laughs> <slap>? <laughs> The doctor slapped him out of quantum certainty? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, they they also were Michael, born Michael's in, having he a was also born in uh New Mexico near uh some radiation uh sites. Oh, so. is it near Cayuga? Uh Los Alamos, uh in New Mexico. I have no idea. Interesting. Um, um yeah, I don't know where Cayuga is. It's near Santa Fe. Or uh, no, uh, it's near so the border because he says that sometimes uh, they get crossover with the Mexican radio station. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, also that's that's where the uh, Russians would invade. Yes, one hundred percent. If anything, Red Dawn, the original Red Dawn from the eighties, taught us that. Mm-hmm. Why did doctors used to slap babies' butts? It was a way to make sure they could breathe. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. yeah. You'd hold them upside down, you'd slap them, and it would get whatever mucus or shit was in their lungs out of them. And that's what happened with multiple man. And yeah, now his we doctor have slapped men. him so hard, again, he slapped him out of quantum certainty. I don't know. I, I, I'm so uncomfortable with this. So don't you want to see that in a movie, though? No! Don't no, you want to... Like wouldn't you abuse. love the opening of a movie to be like period appropriate early 90s music zoom in on hospital cut to mrs multiple man <laughs> screaming <laughs> as she gives birth to a child and then the doctor lifts it up and slaps its ass and then it turns into two babies and everyone's just like what and then it hold, hold, hold on so here's cuts. the question does does the other baby drop to the ground or what what happens in this scenario does uh, does he like does he like slap the baby's butt and then sees another one appear and is like whoa and i think like that it would grow within his baby. hand so that he would suddenly be clutching both of them i hope that doctor was sued <laughs> you you slapped my baby into two babies is definitely a reason to sue someone. congrats you have twins <laughs> insane what are we talking put about back, I, was to, back. I was trying to make a point about the 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 impact of this slap movie. Him again? <laughs> i'm never mentioning multiple man on this podcast again because we got sidetracked so fast uh, okay anyway let's, let's get on yep. what i was going to say before michael flipped out on me about the existence of multiple man was that like three years ago andrew patterson would make this movie and then would be courted by marvel or someone right like you know He'd have the Josh Trank thing or the the Dan Trachtenberg thing. And then 
or you know Colin Trevorrow you know like this guy would get courted for something like hey we're thinking about like reinvigorating the the cliffhanger vertical limit you know extended universe <laughs> Michael yeah. calm down yes. you're no, not you're, you're not sidetracking me again but now <laughs> With the future of the industry so uncertain and people not even sure what movie making is going to look like in the next coming years, I'm curious what his uh, what his world is going to be like, you know. But like he's he made this movie on such a small scale, maybe he's like specifically well positioned to be able to do something like this again. Like I think, but chamber well, uh, pieces like this might have a, a flourishing. According to his wiki, he already has another. Uh, made uh another film about a revenge thriller set in the honeybee industry oh my god i need that right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so not multiple man no unfortunately no no slapping babies yet okay anyway um now that i've said that uh what what other what other things have we not touched on that we would like to have touched on uh let us check Holy in with our shit. guest robert who has been so patient with us. <laughs> Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you're interested in talking about? Um, yeah, wheel back around to me. <laughs> okay. Bill Graham, anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on? No, I, th- I think we're good. I All think right. I think we've definitely uh, r- wrung out this towel pretty good. I mean, there's there's probably some still some wet spots it needs to hang. Please to dry, stop but... this metaphor. This is disgusting. <laughs> Ooh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> there's no more juice. You could have gone with a juice metaphor. Um, Michael Snydell, what about yourself? Uh, the one thing I do want to mention that we haven't mentioned. So one, I wanted to give uh, credit to Mi uh, or excuse me, Miguel. Uh, Juan Litton Mens, who did the cinematography, um, and there's a great interview going around um, with him that I want to say is at uh, Ramezcla. Um, yeah, I, I would search that, and he talks about the tracking shot and some other things. Um, and the other thing I want to mention, which we've hardly mentioned, but I think is excellent is eric alexander and jared bulmer's score for oh, this. the score is really good yeah um and i i love the way it kind of goes from i mean i think the the string um pieces is really lovely and i i really love the the sound design of the you know two different um you know radio signals for lack of a better word but I also I, I just I love the way that it plays a little bit with some Rocky Billy guitar. I, I like the, you know, kind of uh, not not flamenco, sorry, but like a finger picking, uh, you know, like Southwestern uh, guitar as well. And then finally, I think the moment the first moment piano comes in in the last sequence is just uh, it's just a wonderful combination of a memorable score and really, um, really good sound design. Yep. All right, Robert, back to you. Yeah. I mean, the, the score is fantastic. Um, the, there's that first needle drop. Um, I don't think it's part of the score. Um, I actually think it's, it's, it's a Greek song actually. I think it's like the, the very, like almost like it, 
at first I thought it was like Middle Eastern like finger picking, uh, but it's actually a, a Greek song from uh, looks like the 30s <laughs> when I was researching <laughs> this. Uh, there's a Vast of Night like uh, playlist on um on Spotify if if someone's looking for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I I. I would definitely agree on the cinematography, uh, the tracking shots, and this are just, I mean, they're gorgeous, you know, and some of them um, feel like they shouldn't be possible. Um, I think I might have read the interview that you were talking about, Michael, um, where the cinematographer was uh, talking about how they they rigged um, the one shot that was like, I think it was like maybe three inches off the ground um had they apparently attached the camera to a go-kart <laughs> and had yeah. lights on the go-kart and that's how they did it. um so yeah i i i that's i think there that that's definitely two things that um that should be ta- touched upon i read that go-kart thing and i was like that's a like the go-kart driving just stellar like <laughs> i don't even know how you do that <laughs> it's just seem it sounds like one of those things where it's like all right, we want to do this long tracking shot. We got to move fast. We got to move low. Like, what are we going to do? And someone just says, well, we put it on a go-kart. And then you're just like, Tim, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And then like 15 minutes later, you're like, Tim, can we circle back to the go-kart idea? <laughs> How exactly did you see that going? You know? <clears throat> but it's well, really good. I, have I mean, a that whole that races go-karts. So <laughs> let's, let's call them up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works. I mean, it, that was one of the, I, I remember seeing that and like the way that it goes, through the entire game and past everyone and then out the window and then I guess back down into the go-kart. I mean, like, that's just, that's just some stuff like that's that there's, there's some real, like, honest to God, like filmmaking happening in this. I mean, well, it's, it reminds me of monsters or yeah. is it? Yeah. Monsters mm. where, when you realize like he created all the visual effects on his computer and you're just like, what? Wait, what? Like this <laughs> this takes an entire team of people to do for like months on end, frame by frame. Per TV show. Yeah. Yeah. And you're <laughs> telling me that he just straight up just made it on his desktop PC. And it's like, well, you know, it, it, it was an AMD and it had uh, you know, twelve <laughs> like twenty-four gigabytes of RAM. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, okay. Well, but like still, like <laughs> come on. I am, um, and that's another. Oh, that's another, I, that's I another great it, example of the type of thing that would happen to this guy. Like uh, Gareth Edwards makes monsters, gets to make Godzilla. Sure. Like this guy yeah. makes this, maybe gets to make like I don't know the remake of Independence Day or something. Oh God! Just let him make whatever the fuck he wants. He doesn't I, have to no, do a big budget movie. Unfortunately, <laughs> Michael, you are wrong. Um, <laughs> um, he's also he did a bunch of other Go stuff. Go with this the movie. happy ending. Ryan, go with the happy ending. They <laughs> exactly. they were uplifted. They were uplifted. Uh, they were not destroyed to ash and made to do the Independence Day remake. <laughs> too vast, too night. I don't know. Uh, um, what was I gonna say? He did a bunch of other stuff on this movie. He but under different names as James Montague. He was a co-writer and um, producer, and as Unius Tully. He was an editor and a member of the editorial department. So guys clearly got some chops. He's doing some stuff. Uh, the next Soderbergh with the amount of stuff that he does on his own movie. But yes, I believe that brings us to the end for now. Um, 
It has been a wide-ranging discussion. We have uh, made Michael Snydell flip out a few times, so hopefully everyone enjoyed that. Multiple man. For the uh. love of God, he exists. He's real. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Slapping the baby into second existence. I don't like it. But again, I don't I think like that the doctor was legitimately responsible. You know, I think that he would have multiplied at the first trauma, and the doctor slapping him just happened to be that trauma. Tell it to the judge. But I was about to say, but how do you prove that in court? You know, that <laughs> that doctor, hope he had good malpractice insurance. As um, a serious thing, I, I did find the two pieces. It is Ramezcla and it's with uh, Carlos Aguilar. And uh, there's also a variety piece that is specifically about the tracking shot uh, with Jazz uh, 10K. So I, both of those are worth a read. Awesome. Can you imagine being the next woman that doctor helps deliver a baby? <laughs> he, he like reels back to slap it and she's just like, actually, could you let a nurse handle that? <laughs> All right. I swear, to God, I swear to God, that's the last time we're ever talking about multiple men on this podcast. Slap heard around the world. Oh, oh boy all right so uh that is all uh again the vast tonight is currently available on amazon prime so do check it out if you have prime which uh honestly you should there's a lot of good stuff on there um and that's it's not uh, evil at all <laughs> i mean you, everything is evil you pick your layers your level your levels your levels of your evil i guess your layers and yeah, levels of evil. as as we learned in the good place right yeah precisely um we are all doomed and uh everything sucks so that's all for today. Uh, let, let me remind everyone that uh, we are brought to you by Mubi, the, the curated cinema. If you would like a free 30-day subscription trial to Mubi, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. If you would like to help us out directly, uh, you can contribute to our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash show. Again, that is patreon.com slash show. Uh, make sure to get in there, get part of our Slack channel, talk about stuff. It's great. It's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's all. Uh, Michael Snydell, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers with uh, guest Beatrice Loiza. Woohoo! <laughs> We're back on that Paul Verhoeven beat. <laughs> yeah. Um, super excited. Uh, yeah, we'll get so. into it next week, but that might have been one of the most formative movies of my entire young adult experience. <laughs> I have questions. Okay. <laughs> I um yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great conversation. Uh looking forward to it. Um so that'll be next week. So get amped for that. Uh would you like to know more? Click here. Um until then, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found on the internet. Let us begin with our guest, Robert Daniels. Where can people find more of your work online? Uh, yeah, so I write for a few publications. I have my own website, 812 Film Reviews. Um, I also have a piece on The Five Bloods and RogerEbert.com. Um, and I have a... Um, top 12 most inspirational black stories uh list um on uh, um film school rejects uh that's my most recent stuff but you can also find me on the playlist and consequence of sound and polygon too awesome expansive Keep bill graham 
you can find me uh, posturing for The Slap, which was an NBC uh, television series, yes. uh, to actually be introduced oh, no. as a backdoor pilot for Multiple Man. Uh, the show actually <laughs> stars Brian Cox, <laughs> Zachary Quinto, <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard. So it's already got some, uh, you know... Uh, classic villain characters in there anyway so uh i can see brian cox slapping the baby um and yeah that that'll be uh it's also got thomas sadowski who i love seeing in stuff even though i only like about one quarter of everything that he's in (laughs) you don't really love seeing him i like him as an actor he's got a presence like he's the he's the best part of the newsroom as don Kiefer. I love him in the first John Wick. I'm still legitimately upset that he has not come back. Anyways, anyway, um, um, yes. So yeah, the slap, so uh, which was a remake yeah. of like an Australian miniseries, wasn't it? Yes, a 2011 uh, Australian series. Can so, the slap yeah. be watched on Peacock? That's what I need to know. That, that was not English. <laughs> 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 no, that was uh, a, an article from Popular Mechanics in uh, the 1950s. <laughs> no. Um, uh, anyways, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can find me on the Slack channel, mixing it up, uh, getting deep dived on uh, why I should uh, go by Bioshock Infinite. And uh, you can also find what? me on uh just pay attention michael uh you can find no. <laughs> me on on instagram as well at billstagram thank you um yes uh michael snydell what about yourself um on twitter that's snydell on letterboxd uh, let me know if uh you all would be interested in longer reviews on uh, patreon as well I, i've kind of taken a break from longer reviews on letterboxd at the moment i write occasionally for the spool my last review was olivier assayas's netflix film wasp network and um that's what I've written recently. But then the other thing that I've talked about a lot on here is intermission is still rolling full steam ahead. Um, I don't know why it's a train now. Uh, <laughs> the, the newest episode will be Tristana with a uh, film formerly podcast, will Ross and the next episode will be company. The original soundtrack film with uh, guest Kyle Turner. And I know nothing about Sondheim and I'm terrified of talking about it. <laughs> okay, here's the thing though. You also have to watch the documentary now. Uh, yes. Spoof I, I will. I okay, will. <laughs> good. Because it is genius and it is wonderful and the music in it is shockingly catchy. <clears throat> anyway. Um, as for myself, uh, you can Great find... Song. Oh, the one that's playing in the background? Yes. Okay, I thought you maybe were talking about all the songs from co-op, which I would have suddenly started to break into song. What was I going to say? I can be found online at Brian J. Rowan quite literally everywhere. Uh, Everywhere that Brian J. Rowan can be found, he can be found under the name at Brian J. Rowan. Uh, So check that out. My website uh, is also at Brian J. Rowan. No, it's just BrianJRowan.com. I am losing my mind. You can find more of my writing and, of course, all of the episodes of this year podcast at thefilmstage.com. So do do that. 
And don't forget to join us next week when we talk about Starship Troopers. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs>